This morning, our text, our scripture text, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, the end of this chapter, really coming to the end of this letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and words that at least I find to be words of incredible hope, incredible encouragement, but I think maybe also an incredible challenge that we don't always hear. So I want to get right into our, our scripture this morning. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with, imperishable, with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Brothers and sisters, may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that you'd strengthen us in these moments of worship and gathering deepen our faith. May your words speak to our hearts. May these words be inspired by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you meet us in our place of need and fill us with a strength and a power that only comes from you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. On the occasion of the the 4th of July weekend that we've had on the occasion of all the festivities and, and this celebration, national celebration, you, you see a lot of, um, whether they be television documentaries or things that are circulated on the internet that talk about the history of our country, specifically as it relates to the, to the Revolutionary War and our independence and, and all of those things that we celebrate. And so I was reading and looking through that, and here's, here's a little history Question 101, if I was to ask you, who is the most famous hero of the Revolutionary War, who would you say? George Washington. I, I think. Now, I know history can be debated. So, I mean, you may, you may say, you know, Benjamin Franklin because he got France involved in the war. I mean, there's a lot of answers, and I know history. One thing I love about history um, is you can argue from all kinds of sides to make points. I was sitting around with um, friends this weekend, high school friends. The kids, Ryan and Cassie, our kids are in Denver with my brother and his wife and my nephew this week. So Tony and I have been on our own for five days. Oh, poor us. And, um, 
And so we went up on Friday, and I spent some time with, with high school friends that I haven't seen in a while, and we were catching up, and we were talking about our experiences over the years and, you know, reminiscing. And they were talking about teachers. You know how you do when you get together with friends from high school. You talk about teachers and experiences and classes. And somehow we got on, you know, the things we were good at and the things we weren't in school. And I wasn't a math person. I'm not a math person. I wasn't a, a st real strong language person or even some of the sciences like chemistry. Things that are formulaic, things that are kind of black and white. You know, with math, for the most part, it's right or it's wrong, and you have to know the proper formulas and things. That wasn't my stuff. I loved histories, and I love um, uh, uh, philosophy and those kind of things. And somebody said, that's because you like stuff you can just argue for. And I said, that's exactly right. You know, there's, you can take a point and you can say this and that. And so it's not always black and white. Um, you can kind of massage things a little bit more in some of those um, studies. But all of that to say, I think George Washington is the, at least the most identified character or hero. Now, here's the question. What's the difference between George Washington being a hero and George Washington being a traitor? Well, perspective. Somebody said it, though, I heard. He won. Victory's the difference. Victory's the difference. Because as, as you might have heard the saying over the years, it's attributed to a lot of different people, but history is written by the winners. And I was thinking about this because I saw there's a, a beverage company from, from England that is doing a kind of a tongue-in-cheek viral internet ad campaign and they call it, If We'd Won. And they talk about all the things that we as Americans would enjoy had Britain won the war. And again, they're kind of poking fun at themselves, and it's, it's, uh, it's tongue-in-cheek, and it's not meant to be taken seriously. But they've, they've said that July 3rd should be, you know, kind of a day in which we celebrate our British heritage. And so that's what they, the campaign, If We'd Won. But it's, a, it's an interesting question again, into those theoretical debates, you know, what if Britain had won? Well, obviously life would be very different, but George Washington probably wouldn't be the hero of the story. We'd look at history very, very differently. But they didn't win. The colonists won. And part of the great story of, of our history and of the revolution is that against all odds they won. Yeah, eight years. They hung together. But if you know history, you know that if you were laying odds on this battle, on this war, nobody's picking the colonists over the strongest military force in the world at that time. There was just no way to expect that this could have happened, which is why we love the story even more. Because we love not only winners, but we love winners that kind of beat the odds, that have great stories, that, that are the underdogs. We love underdogs. And so they won. And so the, the George Washington's a hero, and Benedict Arnold's the traitor. And the Redcoats are the villains, and the, the colonists are the, the heroes. So life is like that. We celebrate victory. We celebrate winners. We do it in all aspects in, of our lives. Uh, we, we celebrate the, the political victories. Abraham Lincoln, another one of our uh, country's heroes. You know, we, we celebrate his story, which has taken on kind of a folklore of how he came, you know, grew up in, in uh, Illinois and, and overcome the odds and this simple country lawyer who never should have beaten uh, William Seward for the nomination for president and, and certainly should have never uh, 
beaten Stevens for, for the election, but all the things kind of broke his way, and, and he was the victor. And we celebrate that kind of legend in that story. Or uh, the famous picture of Harry Truman, remember, uh, holding up the newspaper after he was elected president. And the headline was Dewey, right, Dewey? Dewey defeats Truman. Dewey was the governor of New York. All right, thank you very much. See, I remember. Um, and, and, you know, that got great. Nobody thought he'd win. There was no way he was supposed to win. Everybody obviously predicted otherwise, and boom, you know, he's the victor. We love victory. We love winners. We do this in sports. You know, we celebrate, the, especially the, the against all odds. One of the greatest embarrassments of my life, one of the great, um, I, I say tongue-in-cheek, tragedies of my childhood is in 1986, Game six of the World Series between the New York Mets and Boston Red Sox. Now, I was not a Mets fan, but with apologies to any Boston people, I was definitely an anti-Boston fan. And, um, and I remember watching that game, and it got into the 10th inning, and Boston went up by two runs. If, you, if you're a sports fan, you know how this played out. But I was so disgusted, I was not going to watch Boston celebrate a World Series, and I went to bed. And I woke up the next day and I'd missed history. I'd missed the win, you know. And, and those kind of things. We, we, love, we love the winners. And we celebrate that. In fact, one of the things that, that has been an interesting debate culturally this last week, if you follow, and I'm kind of staying in the sports world, but the fact that the U.S. men's soccer team, the World Cup team, got so much positive publicity, rightfully so. But one of the arguments has been, well, they didn't win. Because certainly we can't celebrate anything if you don't actually win, and so we have to spin it a little bit. And, and I don't, I, you know what, kudos to them. So I'm not advocating that position. But it's just kind of our cultural identity. This is all to say that Paul, in his t- letter to the Corinthians, in these final verses of this first letter, he wants to stress victory as well. He wants to highlight victory and winning, but he does it in a very, very different way. He does it in the context of victory in the face of what seems like defeat. He does it, speaking of victory, in the face of death. Because death, culturally, historically, in our human experience, is the great equalizer. Doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. Doesn't matter if you're powerful or powerless. Male or female, what culture, what nationality, what achievement, it doesn't matter. Death is the equalizer. We all face it. We all will face it short of Jesus coming back in our lifetime. We're all going to face that reality, that experience. And that can be frightening. And, you know, culturally, death was always kind of seen as the last great enemy, the unconquerable enemy. It was the enemy that would defeat us all eventually. And Paul takes that, and he wants to say to the church, and God wants to say to us, that in the face of even this seemingly unconquerable enemy, you can have victory you can have the promise of victory. And so he writes these very famous words. These are words that are often read, and I use very, very often, in in funeral services, services of 
celebration, as we call them, which seems contradictory. In fact, this is the text I most often use at a graveside. Uh, as we're there and, and we're getting ready, if, if it's a, a burial, when a casket's being prepared to be lowered into the ground, which, again, if you looked at that impartially, if you looked at that from a distance or kind of in an abstract sense, it would seem like there's nothing to celebrate, no victory, no promise, no hope in that situation. But Paul says otherwise. And so he writes these words that are very, very common and familiar to a lot of us. He says, the... Um, for the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, when the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? He's talking about having a win. He's talking about the promise of faith that we have, that death doesn't get the final say. We also have to remember why we have that win, why that is true, where that promise comes from. And he speaks to that. He says, verse 56, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He brings it right back to where he started this chapter talking about the victory that Christ has won on our behalf. It always comes back to Jesus. It always comes back. For us who are called in Christ to be followers of Christ, it always comes back to Christ. Everything we do, everything we are, everything that shapes us, everything that drives us, everything that moves us is founded in the person of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the story you've probably heard before because it's one of those famous preacher stories of the, the pastor who gathered the children for the children's moment and the children were all sitting around the pastor and they were on the steps and he said, I want to ask you a question. I want to give you the characteristics of something. And when you know what it is, blurt it out. And so he said, it lives in a tree and it eats nuts. The kids are all quiet. And he said, okay, it's got brown or gray fur and a bushy tail. And the kids were all silent. And the pastor started to get a little worried. And he said, it jumps from tree limb to tree limb. And finally, little, little Billy raises his hand. And the pastor looked at him and said, okay, Billy, what is it? And little Billy looked at him and said, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. That speaks to the fact that in the church, we're always talking about Jesus. As pastor, as a pastor, I'm always talking about Jesus because that's where our victory comes. You understand what Paul's saying? This victory is given to you, not because of you, but because of Christ. And it is a victory you have in faith, through faith. It's a promise of faith. It's why we have hope and why we call services of end-of-life services celebrations. When I sat with, with Martha McLaren this week, and we talked about Dick, and we talked about the service that, that will come, we talked about how we celebrate his life. Not grieve a loss, but celebrate a win. Celebrate a victory. 
because his heart has been given to Jesus. His faith is in Christ. And Paul says that's the key. When our faith is in Christ, our victory is found in him, the one who overcame death and has given that to us. And so that is a great promise, and that's a great hope. But it is interesting that there is one final verse that gets tagged on to the very, very end of this chapter that I think redirects our understanding of why Paul wrote these words. It's a verse that I will confess to you I've never paid a lot of attention to. I tend to stop at the death, where is your victory, you know, death, where is your sting, but that we're given victory in Jesus Christ because that's kind of that end-of-life focus. That's kind of that funeral message focus. And so I like those verses and I use them. But what's interesting is when we read the last verse, we realize that Paul wasn't writing this to be a funeral message. Not that it's inappropriate to use it that way. It's absolutely not. But Paul had a very, very different purpose. I want you to hear what he kind of tags on at the very, very end. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, after he talks about life and imperishability and victory in Christ, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He's writing this message. He's writing these words not simply to say, hey, here's some great things for you to think about when you're facing death. But he's saying to the church, here's some words to keep you moving in the journey of life. Here's something to keep you striving in faith to do the work of the Lord, to keep laboring, to keep working, to keep remaining faithful to the things that Jesus has taught and called you to. Why? Because it's hard. Because if you walk with Christ, there are times in your life as you're trying to to live positively, as you're trying to reflect the love of Jesus, as you're trying to impact others and be a blessing. There are times in your life when you will ask yourself, am I making any difference? Is it doing any good? Because there are times our best efforts are met with fierce resistance. There are times the people that we're trying to love push back against our love. There are peop- times the people that we're trying to help don't seem to appreciate that we're trying to love and, and, and be a blessing in their lives. There are times when you will just shake your head and wonder, why am I doing this? Why? Because it's not accomplishing anything. And Paul says, it is. And Paul says, Keep laboring, keep pushing, keep working, keep blessing, keep being faithful even when you don't see the evidence of your victory because your victory is not dependent upon your effort. Your victory is dependent on what Christ has done for you. And the challenge we have and the hard thing about the walk of faith sometimes is we want to see the victory. We want to be like that shepherd boy named David who slew his giant and we want to see the giant fall. Sometimes we have to remember that David's victory was not when he killed the giant. David's victory was when he stepped onto the battlefield. And we're called to be instruments of God's grace and his peace. We're called to be people that are persistent in love and compassion, just like Jesus was. Because our victory isn't dependent 
upon the response of others, but it's dependent upon what Christ has done. And so, you know, he, when you go back, I say very, very often, you've got to go back and you've got to read things that Paul writes before this chapter. You've got to contextualize things. And in the chapters before this, he's talking about spiritual gifts. He talks about love, the love chapter. First Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind. He talks about the gifts that God gives to all people. And see, what he's basically saying to the church is keep at it. Keep using those gifts. Keep loving. Keep doing the things Christ has called you to do because your victory is promised. And you may see the evidence in this lifetime, but you will experience it when all this mortality is closed with immortality. That is the impulse to keep at the work of Christ because our faith is not marked by a simple hope of what is to come. That's part of it. But our faith is evidenced, really, by the difference we make with the years God has given to us. I, um, I, I guess, interesting confession, but I will very often because of my schedule and sometimes not being home at to, at times to, uh, to watch certain sporting events that, that I enjoy to watch, like do basketball games and things, I'll um, DVR games, you know, record the games so I can go back and watch them later. Not an uncommon thing to do. But I can't, if a game is over, I can't keep myself from wanting to know how it turned out, even before I've watched it. So what will happen is I'll record the game, but then I'll go and find out whether or not my team won. And if my team didn't win, I don't go back and watch the game. <laughs> but if they did, then I'll go and watch the game. So if I know Duke just beat Carolina, I'll go back and watch the game that I've recorded. But here's the interesting thing about watching a game when you know the outcome. You don't worry about the setbacks. When I'm watching the game, Duke falls behind by 15. I don't care. I know they're coming back. When there's a bad call against them, I don't care. I know they're going to win. It's a very different experience participating when you know the victory is at the end. You don't worry about the little things as much. Paul says, let me tell you how it ends. Let me tell you how this story ends. The victory is promised. No matter what the experiences along the journey might be, if we are rooted in Christ, if our faith remains firmly grounded in Jesus, we have the victory. So in many ways, Paul's saying, don't worry so much about the setbacks. Keep moving. Keep working. Keep investing. Keep loving. Keep about the labor that Christ has called you to. Because our victories in Jesus. Friends, everybody loves a winner. And we're given the greatest winner in all human experience. We're called to be rooted in the one who has overcome the last great enemy, and that's death. And if death doesn't have the final say, what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? Keep at it. First and foremost, put your faith in Christ. But once you have... Keep plugging along. Keep faithful to the labor that Christ has. Be immovable in the work that Jesus has called you to. Be difference makers. That's the call of those who are in Christ. I, I pray that you've given your life to the one who is the winner, that you've invested 
your heart with Christ. But then I challenge you to keep faithful to the work. Keep invested in the journey and keep about the call, the love, the grace that he's poured into you. Share it, live it, give it, and let your life make a difference until the day comes when this perishable body puts on the imperishability of Christ and we forever experience the victory that he has given. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you for the promise that you give us, the promise in Christ that allows us just to keep at it, to keep faithful, to keep loving and living in the way of Jesus. And I pray that you'd keep us at that work until the day comes we enter your kingdom, until the day comes that old things pass away and everything is made new. Because that's the promise of Jesus. That we would trust in you. In Jesus we pray.